Well, let's turn to our Bibles, to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to focus tonight on verses 1 to 3 and save 4 to 9 for next Sunday night, God willing. Well, let's ask for God's help as we pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much tonight that uh, you know what we need to hear this evening. Thank you that you know all the hairs on our heads and all the days of our lives. And so we pray that you would speak to us to help us, uh, to encourage us. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit as we've just uh, sung to Make these things come alive to us, Uh, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, uh, I only did Latin for one year at school, and um, there was a rumor after he left that our teacher had gone to be a tour guide in Pompeii, and perhaps the challenge of trying to teach us That uh, difficult subject uh, proved to be too much for him. But there is uh, one phrase that I do know, and it's the motto of the United States of America. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. And it was adopted as uh, citizens from different states in, in America sought to establish a new country and stand together as one nation, out of many, one. And it's an idea that seems particularly relevant a few hundred years later, because you and I, we live in a world that is very polarized. And many people today are commenting on this, aren't they? There's real division about all the different political and social and economic issues of our day and civility is very rare and Twitter and Facebook and 24-7 news cycles and all that kind of thing only seem to make the problem worse and often this leads to outright hatred of the other. Now Christians are unique not because they never fall out, we'll see that in a moment, but because they understand, we understand, the true cause of our division, our sin. Our sin is uh, played out on the horizontal as well as the vertical. When we turned our backs to God, we turned our backs to one another. And the fallout from the fall was a whole lot of falling out. Remember Adam's uh, words, the woman you put here with me, it was all her fault, he said. Or just one chapter later in Genesis 4, the first murder takes place. And ever since, human beings have been a squabbling race, haven't they? A squabbling race. Well, our passage tonight, it challenges the, the divisiveness that so often exists in our hearts and in our lives. It is a plea for, for sisters and brothers to dwell together in unity. In these opening verses of chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul 
and God through him calls us to live harmoniously. And so as we look at these verses together, I want to uh, kind of circle round two different ideas. And the first one is this, standing firm, standing firm. Um, in verse 1, Paul is addressing the whole of the church in Philippi. And many have um, pointed out that this first verse, it's like a kind of bridge between chapters 3 and 4. The, the therefore at the beginning links back to what Paul has already written, but it also gets us ready for his finale. And as Paul calls his friends to stand firm here, notice the warmth of his language. He is not cold or distant or overbearing. He is not like a a sergeant major terrifying the troops. Instead, Paul calls them brothers. He tells them that he loves and longs for them. They are his joy, his crown. They are his beloved. Now, this is how he began his letter. Back in chapter 1, he said that uh, the Philippians were people he held in his heart, that he yearned for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. And why did he do so? Because they were all partakers with him of God's grace. It also echoes what he said in chapter 1, verse 27. There he calls the Philippians to stand firm in in one spirit, like almost one man striving together as one for the sake of the gospel. I was helped, as I read this week, from Alec Matier, a commentator. And he helped me um, remember that we can hear words like this, and we can get very used to them, can't we? And we can miss how, how radical they are. We read a word like brother and think, yes, of course, that's how we're all to think of one another as Christians, brothers and sisters. But that was not the way Paul had always lived, was it? As we saw in chapter 3, there was a time in his life when he was just full of pride at his own religious pedigree. He would have shunned those outside the covenant community. He looked down on Gentiles. But Jesus changed his heart. And the same thing happens in uh, the lives of Christians. When we receive a welcome from him, it changes us. So Paul's call to to stand firm here, it flows from from a changed heart. It's connected to a work of God's grace. But it, it also flows out of profound theology. See, just glance at the end of chapter 3. Uh, There, Paul reminded the Philippians that they were citizens of heaven. They were all waiting for the same Savior, all looking forward to living with transformed bodies together in the new creation. And so here is a reminder that, that theological truths like that 
are to be lived out and put into practice. The second coming, which Paul speaks about at the end of chapter 3, it it is not designed to, to leave us running around like headless chickens. It is not a truth designed to create all sorts of speculation in us. No, it is meant to steady us. It is meant to help us stand firm as Christians. Now, Paul calls um, his readers here, he calls them his joy and crown. I think this is uh, really beautiful language. The, the imagery here is from uh, the world of, I guess we could say, the Olympics, athletics, that kind of thing. And Paul is, is picturing his friends standing with him at the end of time, celebrating, giving thanks to God for his great victory. And Paul just longed for these Philippians to stand firm as they looked forward to that day. But notice that he calls them to stand firm in the Lord. In the Lord. And this phrase you know, we're going to see as we look at the rest of uh, this short section. It, it comes three times in verses 1 to 9. And it's a helpful reminder that as they wait for Jesus to return, they do not wait for him in their own strength, but in his. Standing firm as Christians is, is not a matter of, of just trying harder, of, of summoning up some kind of internal resolve, of, of being really tough. No, it means having our eyes fixed on him. And you and I, we may feel very, very weak as we do that. I think it's interesting that Paul says, stand. I don't want to to make too much of this, but it doesn't sound that impressive, does it? Perhaps we imagine that Um, As God's people, we should be really doing something far more dynamic than just standing firm. But the older I get, uh, the more I see just how much of a challenge that can be, can't it? To stay standing as a Christian, if that's you tonight... That is an amazing thing. That is a a testimony to God's grace. And maybe this evening, the fact that you are still standing, we are still standing as Christians, still standing firm, is something to take encouragement from. So Paul's call to to stand firm, it flows from a changed heart. It is rooted in, in rich theology. But why is it so important? Well, it mattered because these Christians were facing opposition. And if you're new to Philippians uh, this evening, um, look back at some point this week and you'll see all the way through this letter there is great opposition, great hostility. And the same is uh, true for us as Christians. We live in a world, I think, that is... It's both apathetic and hostile at the same time to our faith. Apathetic 
and hostile. And this can really wear us down as God's people. But as Christians, we we know, don't we, who is behind it. We know it's the devil. And this opening verse, it, it reminds us of Paul's call to stand against him, against Satan. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. To stand firm. It's it's language that echoes verse 1, isn't it? But you and I, we do not do this standing firm on our own. I've said a few times now in sermons here that, that our culture is so individualistic. And unlike many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, we tend to view our Christian life through that individualistic lens. And it's I instead of we. But the New Testament is, is full of one another language. And the truth is that you and I, we need one another as Christians if, if we are to stand firm to the end. This letter was written to a, to a Christian community. We stand firm, we keep going as Christians alongside one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was someone who understood this. He was a a German pastor and, and professor. And he took a stand. He took a stand against the Nazi regime. And he wrote these wonderful words in his little book, Life Together. Writing about, about our need for one another. He said, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. Friends, we need one another. I'm sure many of us would be able to say amen to that tonight, wouldn't we? We look back on our lives as Christians, and maybe we realize tonight that we are only standing. We are only here this evening because of the prayers and the encouragement, the love of others. So standing firm, standing firm. Secondly, though, standing together, standing together. In verse 2, Paul moves, as you look at the text, he moves from speaking to the whole church to address to individuals, Yodia and Syntyche. These two women, they've been 
arguing. We're not given any other reasons. Wouldn't we like to know? Wouldn't we like the gossip? But instead, Paul just calls them to agree. I entreat, he says. I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And then he, he mentions this person to come alongside them in verse 3 and help them do just that. And the sad fact is, isn't it, that as Christians we can often be as divided as the world around us, sometimes even more so. And Paul takes this very, very seriously. And the word entreat is emotive. And it can be translated as beg or, or plead or urge. It's the same idea when, when Paul pleads with the Lord to, to remove his thorn in the flesh. This really mattered to him. This really matters to God, unity in the church. Notice that he calls both of them to make amends. And when I was little and I fell out with one of my brothers, I was always told two wrongs don't make a right, that kind of thing. Maybe one of us was responsible. Maybe one of these women was responsible. But they were both called to sort it out, weren't they? These sisters were to dwell in unity. Interestingly, the, the, the names the commentators tell us, the names Yodia and Syntyche, they mean um, success and lucky. There's two interesting names uh, for your daughters if you uh, have any in the future. But their division was threatening this church. And these prominent women, they, they may well have been some of the founding mothers of this church. Because in Acts chapter 16, uh, we read that, that this church in Philippi, it began when Paul and Silas met a group of women by a river outside the city and shared the gospel with them. Lydia was their first convert. And whether Yodia and Syntyche were, were part of that kind of first group or not, it is really clear in verse 3 that, that they were women that Paul valued greatly. You can see that, can't we? They had, they had labored side by side with him in the gospel. They were fellow workers. And this is why their, their division was so distressing. If you like, a civil war had broken out in this church. There were two sides now. Were you with Yodia or were you with Syntyche? Who were you going to believe? What gossip were you going to entertain and think about in this Philippian church? There was friendly fire going on. Now, of course, what Paul describes here has little or no relevance to Christians today. We have moved past these days, haven't we? God is fortunate to have Christians in Scotland who are uniquely united. I jest, of course, don't I? Because one of the sad facts of Scottish church history 
is division. There have been many times when separating has been necessary. But this has not always been the case, hasn't it? Has it? Often we have resorted to tribalism. And could it be that one of the reasons our witness is often so stunted is the lack of harmony that exists between us. We can perhaps understand the person who who grew up in church but says, well, if the gospel was really true, then you guys would be less divided. Sometimes that kind of thing can be used as an excuse, of course, not to take the gospel seriously on its own merit. But it is so easy for us to to be suspicious of those who maybe do things a little bit differently to us. It is so easy to take pride in, in being right. I think we need to say, though, don't we, that, that unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. Christianity is not communism. No, Paul tells these women to agree in the Lord. In the Lord. So you and I tonight, we do not have to agree on Brexit or the SNP or the Tories or certain aspects of COVID or all kinds of other things. As Christians, we are free to have different views on some secondary issues. And the gospel does not destroy our our natural preferences and our personalities. But it does call us to find and value common ground with our fellow Christians. To work for that. We are to join hands and fix our eyes on our Savior. We are to be more concerned as God's people by who and what unites us as Christians rather than what divides us. Is that the case tonight? Do we value harmony here in this church family? Do we want a more perfect union? Or will we just be like the world? Will we settle for less? Abraham Lincoln was uh, the last person that anyone expected to be Uh, President of the United States, when he ran for office, there was a whole host of of candidates who seemed more suited than him. But in her book, Team of Rivals, the historian Doris Cairns Goodwin, she she describes how after he was elected, he, he brought in a number of those who'd stood against him, a number of opponents. He brought them into his, his first cabinet. It was a team of rivals. And they put aside their, their differences and worked together. And Paul wants to see something similar in this 
church in Philippi. In verse 3, he, he singles out a peacemaker, his true companion, he calls him or her. Uh, now, needless to say, the commentators have uh, spilled all kinds of or huge numbers of or amounts of ink over the identity of this person. Is it Silas? Is it Lydia? Is it somebody else? But I think the anonymity is helpful. Because all of us, whoever we are, are called to be like this person. All of us are called to be peacemakers. And Jesus says, well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says we are blessed when we do so. Well, I think we don't always think that way, do we? We often think that, that the kind of people who, who look for common ground are inevitably kind of compromised. They're not really standing for what they believe. And we can think of, of peacemaking as kind of less important than standing for truth. But the problem is that the kind of, of ugly division that was brewing in Philippi, it was a denial of the gospel. You see, just think back to um, the vertical, the horizontal impacts of sin that I mentioned at the beginning. Sin impacts our relationship with God, but it also impacts our relationship with one another. It impacts our relationship with creation and with ourselves, but uh, that's another sermon. But what the cross achieved was, was to restore our relationships with God and with one another. Now, as um, evangelical Christians, we, we very rightly often value the vertical aspect of the cross. And we take a stand for things like penal substitution. And we are absolutely right to do that. But we can also deny that very same gospel by our division. All too often, we can forget that the Christians we disagree with, the Christians we come to dislike so strongly for whatever reason, well, they are brothers and sisters for whom Jesus died. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. You might want to read this later. He tells us that through the cross, God has, has brought near those who were once far off, Jew and Gentile. He's, he's broken down the wall of, of hostility that exists between human beings. He says that, that through Jesus, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. And so when we rebuild what God has torn down... When we build walls between 
believers, well, we are really saying Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. And we also do something else. We, we forget, as Paul tells us in verse 3, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Names are in that book of life. It's the Lamb's book of life, isn't it? Friends, is anything more important than that? Doesn't it put so much in perspective to remember that? It makes all our squabbling, all our grudges seem so insignificant. And so maybe tonight God is calling us to agree in the Lord with a believer that we have a disagreement with. Maybe tonight God is calling us to to move towards them, to remember that we will live in the new creation with them. Or maybe tonight God is calling us to to be a peacemaker, to to build a bridge, to, to bring together Christians who disagree with one another. All these things would be beautiful in God's sight. J.I. Packer, he was a wonderful um, British theologian who taught for many years at Regent College in Vancouver in Canada. And he died in uh, July 2020. He was a man who wrote uh, countless books, gave all kinds of lectures all around the world. But he said there were six simple truths that he liked to repeat to himself each day. I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. And then the last one. Every Christian is my brother too. Isn't that great? It's all true. And Paul would have loved it, wouldn't he? Paul would have loved it. I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. And every Christian is my brother, my sister, too. Well, let's pray together.
Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great privilege of belonging to this great family, this international family that you are bringing together through time, through history, that one day people from every tribe and tongue and nation will stand before you. And so we pray that you would forgive us for uh, the times we've uh, disagreed uh, too strongly with our brothers and sisters where we've insisted on our own way. Um, We recognize that we can have different opinions about different matters. But help us, Heavenly Father, to value the unity that Jesus has made possible through the cross. Help us to be peacemakers in this church family and beyond. And so be blessed by you. We ask your help. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his honor. Amen. Well, we close um, our service tonight with uh, our final song. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength. Let's stand. Thank you.